0: Proper procedures when the her supervisor knew she did not. Now it, that sounds like a little technicality, um, but I want to explain so that our listeners understand why is it so important that those proper procedures are followed.
1: Well, false. Uh, you can receive a false positive. You can receive false uh, information regarding the the level of intoxication. Uh, there's. When, you, when you're dealing with blood, there's a lot of things that uh, that play into the picture. Uh, just because the analyst comes back and says that was a .12, which is over a .08, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that that was. And so, right.
0: if, so... So if they didn't follow procedures and they didn't test the blood properly... They didn't calibrate the machines properly. That's what the procedures we're talking about here is did we do the test right? Absolutely. Were the machines working right? So if, if all of that's wrong, you think that result's going to be right?
1: Absolutely not.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and I got to, for our listeners here, you know, John, I, I told you he was out today. Uh, he is just chomping at the bit. I got to tell you, he's sending me messages. <laughs> he's listening to us live. Um, and he says, you know, the DA routinely lists government employees as experts they say you know the police officer he might be a one-year patrolman but he's all of a sudden an expert in police investigations or domestic violence or DWI or whatever that the state needs for that particular case but the DA also lists and sponsors witnesses like Andrea Gooden um, the supervisor in this the, the analyst in this case to say you know what she's an expert She attends classes, she understands toxicology, she understands how these machines work. Um, You know, she attends a one-week class in some legal analysis, and all of a sudden she's their expert. So, you know, and, and that's John's take on this is, you know, you've got the state, the government saying, trust these people, they are experts, trust them when they tell you this particular defendant was intoxicated. Do you trust the government that much?
1: Well, it's it's obviously um, when and John brings up some good points, we see it every day in the courtroom where someone is um, they're an expert on uh, on uh, standard field sobriety testing, and then when, and that's the test we,
0: they give for DWI suspects. Correct. And okay. then
1: when we take them on cross examination, turns out that this is only their second uh, DWI. That they've had in their entire lifetime, and they, DWI they arrest arrest, and, okay. and they had, uh, and they attended a classroom uh, where uh, it was less than than uh, probably it's, it's a thirty four hour. or five hours of it's uh, a thirty
0: hour class usually,
1: and so uh, a total of thirty, but, right. but each section has has you know different parts, so. Um, you know, yet they sponsor that person, like John said, as being an expert, and and I'll tell you that uh, that when I first left the district attorney, I mean, first left the police department, went over to the district attorney's office, I found that blood evidence was uh, was tremendously confusing, and I give Gary Trichter uh, a uh, a. Look an attaboy for teaching yeah. me uh, what to look for in blood evidence because he represented a defendant against me. And uh, he was so thorough that it that it made me really look at all of the different things.
0: Well, but and that's for, the thing. Let me just, for one second, so our listeners understand, Gary is a local lawyer. He does, at the time, he did a tremendous amount of DWI work, still does. He himself's considered an expert in DWI cases and DWI defenses.
1: Absolutely. So
0: while he's a defense attorney, you were a prosecutor. He schooled you. He did. Yeah.
1: <laughs> By... Uh, uh, by serving me with the uh, with the discovery and all of the things that uh, that we had to present, I, I wanted to make sure that I understood that. Uh, but the thing that you realize as a prosecutor, you only have a, a brief time to explain all of this stuff to a jury, and a jury is terribly confused, especially by blood evidence and, and things like that. And so it it's typical that a jury will not question it and just say, well, she's the expert, so she says it's good, it's got to be good.
0: Well, and you bring up an extremely valuable point there, Earl. Um, You know, The expert says it's good, so we're just going to trust it. It's sort of like, and I I think we see this in juries all the time, um, and let me kind of back out of the the jury room for just a minute and go into our day-to-day lives. You go see a particular doctor because that doctor is an expert, might be an ear, nose and throat expert, might be a foot expert, you know, but you go and see a doctor for a particular problem, because that doctor is an expert and can help you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so these folks are supposed to be experts in blood analysis or whatever in the courtroom. And, you know, jurors, I don't really fault them so much. They sit back and they say, well, you know, Heck, she went to school, she has the training, let's just trust her. Let's trust Andrea Gooden with, and she says he's intoxicated? Well, he must be, you know. Uh, And sadly, that's not, that's what happens, but that's not the way our system was set up. Our system was set up so that our justice system, jurors, supposed to hear that evidence, but then defense attorneys are supposed to challenge that evidence, attack that evidence, see if it really holds up, see if Andrea Gooden lied, see if she followed proper procedures. And what we see a lot of times, at least this has been my experience, and I think you've probably seen the same thing, Earl, jurors kind of get bogged down. They see this, uh, you know, cross-examination, and then they're kind of left with this feeling like, Well, maybe they didn't quite do everything right, but still, that's the expert. You know, we're starting to see a little more these days where, you know, uh, jurors and other individuals will question the government's witnesses, uh, but it's just, it's like it's kind of, once it's out there, how do you unring that bell?
1: I want to point out one thing that you, uh, on your comparison, and and I think it's really good, uh, if someone is going to be a doctor, and I just recently saw a doctor, um, he had to spend years in uh, in medical school, and then when he finished medical school, he had to spend years interning before he was actually considered an expert in any area of medicine. Uh, very much like, like we, as lawyers, we had to spend... Um, uh, Time getting our doctor's degree, and then once we got our law degree, we had to spend time in the courtroom learning how to be a good lawyer. Uh, but yet, these witnesses—they can fast track and become <laughs> an expert uh, without very, with very little experience. And and there's something wrong with that. Uh, when when citizens start relying on that, um, I I think it's a it's a bad mistake. Um, also, uh, when you talk about about this particular case, it's my understanding that in this situation, the district attorney's office didn't know that uh, all of this had occurred Yeah, at the yeah, time just of to, trial. To
0: go back to the Andrea Gooden example, the district attorney did not know she was testifying falsely. At least this is my belief. I don't think they knew. I don't think the defense knew. I don't think the court knew. Uh, the supervisor who, who was there in the courtroom watching Ms. Gooden testify knew it wasn't true. She had to know it wasn't true when she made her testimony, but yet they didn't bring it to anybody's attention and say, hey, wait, we might have messed up here. We testified a little wrong. Is that okay? Is that a problem?
1: It, it's, a, it's a big problem, and I'm, I'm glad you, uh, you phrased it the way you did. Uh, the Supreme Court, uh, and that's the law of the land that decides, uh, they have ruled that not only does the district attorney have a duty to find out about these things, but that the law enforcement agencies also have a duty to come forward and give that information to the defense so that the defense can do whatever they need to do to protect the liberties of the individual that's that's charged with a crime.
0: Well, and that's that kind of get gets right back to what I said a little while ago, and I think you and I are saying obviously the same thing here. Um, you know, the defense attorney's job is to thoroughly test and cross-examine that evidence, that witness, to see does, you know, My cousin Vinny, does the case hold water? (laughs) You know, I love that show. You can learn everything from that show. You know, does the case hold water? Um, You know, and when you have a supervisor who does not notify anyone that, hey, something is wrong here, how does the defense attorney learn that, get to question it? You know, I mean, you can ask a witness every day on the stand, well, you didn't follow proper procedure, did you? And the witness is going to say, well, of course I did. And how do you prove they didn't? Right. You know, th- th- and that's exactly what happened here. How could the defense truly question her and see, did her case hold water when they didn't even know she's up there lying? You know, and, and I have to kind of harken this back to something that we talked about Uh, either last week or maybe the week before it was all over the news too out of the uh, Harris County Institute of Forensic Science that's the county crime lab we've been talking about the city crime lab but out of the county crime lab we learned uh, about a couple weeks ago that one of their analysts who's now quit her job and resigned um, didn't even have the actual degrees that she testified as to having. She said, you know, she got on the stand and she said, oh, yes, I have a bachelor's degree in science with an emphasis in toxicology. Wrong. She had a veterinarian certificate. Uh, But, you know, what happens in those cases? These witnesses get up on the stand. They lie about their credentials. They lie about the procedures in the lab, but everyone's supposed to trust them and no one knows about it. How do you know these people are telling, or whether they're telling the truth or not? We just believe them because they say they're telling the truth?
1: Well, I, I, I think that, that basically um, the media will eventually, through exposing these individuals as they come up, are going to make individuals question more and more uh, whether someone actually really is an expert. And... Uh, I remember when I first started the police academy. Uh, they said the quickest way to change a law or to change some some procedure is to abuse it. And when you <laughs> abuse it, you lose it. And so, uh, through the years, I found that that's really true. And um, I, I don't know if, if how you fix that problem other than. Um, then people are going to have to start questioning uh, experts. And they're going to say, you know, if you really are an expert, you need to spend the time winning that expert uh, title, not just taking a couple hours of class and then claiming to be an expert.
0: Well, and that's true. You can't just bestow upon somebody the status of expert. You can't just say well, you know what, Earl, you went and took that class. Now you're an expert, right? you got to test their credentials. They've got to, you know, how well did you do in the class? Were you an A student or were you a B student or maybe a D student? You know, uh, you gotta, you got to figure out, is this person really, truly qualified? And just because they passed a class, we all know people who, graduated college, maybe, uh, or graduated high school, and still can't, you know, put together maybe an essay or a resume or something. Um, you know, it happens. So you, you've got people that, that have these credentials that really need to be tested.
1: Absolutely. And, and one of the things that, uh, that, I, that I try to bring to this show is how does this affect our listeners? And uh, being in the courtroom is a a very scary uh, situation. Nobody wants to be there. No one wants to be the defendant. Uh, And people come into the courtroom, instead of having the presumption of innocence, uh, like our Constitution guarantees, they they have a presumption of guilty. Uh, People walk in the courtroom, they look at the defendant right away, and they say, Oh my God, I wonder what they did because they don't know why they're there yet for the jury duty. And but they they automatically assume that person did something wrong or they wouldn't be in the courtroom. And yeah, and so, that's that's
0: the whole thing, is there has to be something wrong, otherwise you wouldn't be here.
1: So as you well know, there's a tremendous amount of pressure for you to take the plea bargain officer offer that the district attorney's office has, has tendered. Uh, obviously, if everyone went to trial, the whole system would bog down, and, uh, and you, couldn't, uh, you couldn't proceed. But uh, in, in this situation, uh, people are taking a guilty plea and saying that they're guilty of a crime because they don't want to take the chances of going to trial. Uh, and think about it, how many clients have came in that were represented by other lawyers that have now hired us that said, well, I did plead guilty to that case, but look, I didn't really do that case. You know, right. and, they're, and, they're, and they're, I believe they're being truthful to us, but yet they took a plea. And I wonder how many people took a plea where this uh, lab expert so supposedly said they were intoxicated when they weren't.
0: Right. And that's the whole thing here. Now you've got her entire uh, expert life, if you will, um, in question here. And how many times did she fail to follow proper procedures? How many times did she get it wrong? And how many people ended up in jail either through a trial and got found guilty because jurors based their verdict on her testimony? Or went ahead and took a plea bargain, like you said, to avoid the trial because, you know, they assume jurors are going to believe the state's expert. And they're probably right. But so, you know, how do you you account for all those people and how many of them are there that may not have been guilty but got found guilty or took the deal because it just looked too insurmountable?
1: Correct. And 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 that's that's a sad situation. I um, uh, I've saw a lot of changes in the uh, in the criminal uh, defense field since I, I became a police officer, and I even the procedures that uh, that the departments use, and I worry that we're over criminalizing society, that we're uh, we're making individuals have a criminal record that affects them the rest of their life. Uh, Even just being charged with a crime, uh, uh, I just represented an individual just recently, and he was charged with a crime, and because of his just being charged with that crime, uh, he lost his job. He had been on the job for like 12 years, an excellent employee, but they had a policy that if you're Charged with a criminal law offense, he can't work there anymore. So he is charged, not convicted, but lost his job. So the ramifications is not only the um, uh, not only the the fact that you uh, could lose your liberty, but there are so many other penalties that come with uh, with a criminal charge.
0: Well, and, you know, you hit on one of my favorite topics here when you say over and we're saddling people with criminal convictions and charges. Um, as a society, as a whole, we've grown into everything's a crime. You know, kids that get in fights in school used to be a little fight out on the playground. You went to the principal's office. Back in the day, you got SWATs. Then we moved away from that, and they got suspended from school. And Well, now we've moved away from that, and now we charge them, and we send them over to juvie. Put them um, in handcuffs. Put them in handcuffs, cart them off to juvie. Um, have them go to you know juvenile court. You know, kids are going to be kids. They shouldn't be saddled with criminal consequences, criminal convictions for every little thing that they do. And then, you know, we did the same thing with the war on drugs. You know, we decided, you know, as a society, you know, marijuana is going to be bad, so we're going to punish that. You know, uh, cocaine is going to be bad, so we're going to punish that. So we see anyone that gets involved with any type of drug ends up pretty much in the criminal justice system. Nobody's there to help them beat their addiction. The system's there to punish them, and this has been, you know, the the pattern Throughout the past couple decades, um, you know, and so now we see all these people with all these convictions um, and and charges. They have records. They can't get or keep jobs that are nice, well-paying jobs where they can take care of their family. They can't rent apartments because the apartments won't rent to somebody who has a felony conviction. You know, and I'm not saying we just throw out all, you know, and make all crimes. I mean, make all drugs perfectly legal, but. You know, I think back to Prohibition, where, you know, the the government said alcohol is bad. We won't have alcohol. So we made it a crime. What happened? The, you know, backroom distilleries opened up and everybody, you know, made their moonshine and sold alcohol anyway. They did it. They continued to use it. It just became criminal to do so. And we've done the same thing here by, you know, criminalizing Everything that's happening, you know, uh, somebody, uh, you know, you have a car wreck and somebody could end up going to jail out of that. It's just, an, sometimes it's just an accident, you know, and, and I think society's kind of lost track of sometimes it's just an accident or sometimes it's just, it's just something that happened, but it ought not be a crime.
1: Well, think, think about this. Uh, the government sets standards for the jail, uh, how many people can be incarcerated in in certain spaces and things like that? And we have gone through time after time after time. The jail's overcrowded. Let's spend millions building another jail. Now that jail is overcrowded. Let's spend millions to build another jail. And continuously, uh, like in Harris County alone, you've got uh, at least four jail facilities where mass numbers of individuals are housed and and sometimes they're warehoused
0: 10,000 uh, a day
1: yes and uh, uh, can society continue to pay for that uh, that's uh, that's something too so yeah. well, I think the over criminalization of things have really caused other problems that uh, that would be nice if, if we didn't have to pay the taxes we had to pay well, just you, to build more facilities.
0: Right. And you bring up a good point there. I, and this is kind of goes to my theory that government is not in business to put itself out of business. They're in business to grow. So if you grow and you build two jail cells, three jail cells, four jail cells, you got to up the number of people you're taking in. Otherwise, the taxpayer revolts and says... You spent millions and millions of my dollars building a new jail facility and we didn't even need it? So how does the government show need? They fill it up. So you got to criminalize more conduct, put more people in jail. It's a vicious cycle. Government does not exist to put itself out of business, to get smaller.
1: And and uh, trying to fix the problem is uh, there's there's a lot of things out there and we have, uh, we have some really good programs in Harris County, the Veterans uh, Program, for example, uh, the mental health uh, program. And uh, only, only a fraction of money is spent on these programs that actually help people to get out of the rut.
0: And and that's exactly what you're talking about. We're just getting into an era where we have programs that are coming into play, veterans court, mental health court, where we can track people out of the criminal justice system. So they still come in, they're still accountable, but they're in a different court system where maybe they can make some redemption, get on with their lives, and get out of that cycle. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming in today. I know you've been itching to be in here in the studio. You were out a couple weeks with bronchitis, and we missed you. Um, I know uh, you did a fabulous job here on your debut with us. So um, we're, we're going to wrap things up here. I want to remind our listeners that uh, during the week you can call us in, but you can also follow us on social media. Hit us up on Twitter, LegalSpeakMM, Facebook, Legally Speaking. Uh, And we'll see you next week, every week, Thursday, 2 to 3.